We are um, we are uh, wrapping up a conversation we've been having over the last eight weeks. A conversation that is drawn from a series of uh, lessons that Jesus gave us. He was traveling from from his home base of Galilee in the north to. Jerusalem in the south, which was the place where he would be crucified. So we're kind of eavesdropping on the stories that Jesus taught his disciples and others as he made that trip. And as we listen to today's lesson, uh, you may be thinking, why didn't we stop before? Because um, nobody likes to come to church to hear about vultures and <laughs> fire and sulfur and floods that sweep people away and destroy them. It's it's a, a very disturbing passage, and so we're going to be looking at it closely because when we do, we will <clears throat> pardon me. When we do, we'll see that it is actually uh, filled with hope, and so, so we're going to be plunging right in uh, to this passage. So, um, if you've got your scriptures in front of you, we'll be starting in verse twenty. So it says, "Everyone." Um, it says, uh, uh, "Jesus asked uh, Pharisees, excuse me, Pharisees asked Jesus when God's kingdom was coming." So. Everybody's looking forward to God's kingdom. Why are they looking forward to God's kingdom? The reason is because the world is a mess. If anybody ever tells you, you know, that this world is is uh, in great shape and everything's wonderful, they probably um, should be ignored because they're wrong. Um, and and that's not uh, been any different for the last two thousand years. The world is a mess. And in the first century, the problems were were things like the Roman occupation of the Holy Land and and all, all the problems attendant with that. Um, people were desperately poor. There's all kinds of problems that people were concerned about. And so they were looking forward to the establishment of God's kingdom. Instead of Roman occupation, they would have the kingdom of God in which um, God would restore creation to his good purposes. The, the idea is that God made creation good, but it has gone bad, that something has has happened, and now evil is is uh, disfiguring um, the the creation. That ugly things are are occurring in creation because evil is loose in it. And the purpose of the idea of the kingdom of God is that God would um, restore His rule. He would rid all evil from the world, and He would uh, fix and and repair and heal everything that has been disfigured by evil. So. Everybody looks forward to the kingdom of God, um, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can say, "Well, yeah, you know, my candidate didn't get elected on Tuesday, or, or uh, my candidate did, and now I'm beginning to think they've got a big job in front of them." You know, I don't have the faintest. You know, if they called me and asked me what to do about Ukraine, I don't know. So maybe you're thinking that there are big problems in this world even now. Maybe not Roman occupation, but there are big problems, and the idea is that some problems. Um, are beyond our capacity to solve. That we should work on the ones we, we can solve, but we have to recognize that, it, you know, the, the problems um, that we sang about, the, the problems of evil in the world, um, are, are beyond our, our capability. And so we need God to to establish His kingdom. So everybody in the first century was looking forward to God's kingdom, and they asked Jesus when it was coming. Now. Um, Maybe they maybe they had a theological uh, just a you know I, I want to know you know I heard you went to this school or you studied under that rabbi I want to know what your thinking is on the kingdom of God maybe that's what they're asking but probably they're saying hey I've heard about you you've been telling people for you know, the, you know since chapter four you've been telling people that the kingdom of God had come near and so I want to know well when is it actually going to arrive because I'm because a couple of things are missing from from the kingdom of God as I understand it they're asking Jesus. How can you say the kingdom of God is coming um, when some important things haven't happened? So what are those important things? So 
the first thing that they would expect in the kingdom of God is a king. You know, it's not much of a kingdom if you don't have a king. And God had promised to give the people a king, that there would be a king um, after the uh, from the line of David, somebody who would rule with justice and um, rightness, um, and he would be the king, or in, in Hebrew, the Messiah. So they're saying, where's the Messiah? Now, you know, as Christians, we believe they were talking to the Messiah, but they didn't know that. Jesus has not yet revealed himself as the Messiah. So they they would say, you know, I don't see anybody riding around in a white horse, uh, you know, slaughtering Romans, so there must not be a Messiah yet. So, so their first concern is they don't have a Messiah, but they were looking for him because it was through the Hebrew prophets. Uh, for example, in the book of Daniel, we read, I suddenly saw one like a human being, so not an angel, not some celestial creature, you know, with, with eyes all around or things like that, just a human being, an ordinary person, coming with the heavenly clouds and he came to the ancient one he came to god and was presented before him and rule glory and kingship were given to him all people's nations and languages will serve him rule glory and kingship were given to him his rule is an everlasting one it will never pass away his kingship is indestructible so they're saying i don't see any messiah where's the messiah you can't be telling me that the kingdom of god is coming if there's no messiah so the first problem is there's no Messiah. The other problem is where's the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? It's this idea of, of God closing out this age to begin the, new, the age to come with these dramatic signs in the heavens and so forth. So uh, in, the, in the prophet Joel we read, I will give signs in heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will ter- be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. But everyone who calls on the Lord's name will be saved. So the Pharisees are saying, you've been telling people since chapter 4, here it is, chapter 17, you've been telling people the kingdom of God has come near. How can you possibly be right? Because these things haven't happened. So Jesus answers them this way. He says God's kingdom isn't coming with signs that are easily noticed. Nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is. Don't you see God's kingdom is already among you? So Jesus says that the kingdom of God is already close at hand. It's already among us, among them. So what does he mean by among? Uh, there's actually a debate. The word the word that uh, Jesus uses can mean within, and some, some translations choose that, that, um, that uh, uh, way to translate it. They say it's within you. Others say um, it's among you. Our translation says among. And I, I tend to side with this translation because Jesus is talking to Pharisees. And these might be Pharisees who are actually um, on board with Jesus and his agenda. But in general, throughout Luke's gospel and most of the gospel accounts, we see that Pharisees tend to be antagonistic toward Jesus. So if Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is within them, that doesn't sound the, that doesn't sound right. But again, we don't know. It could be. And some translations choose that. Uh, choose that way of translating it. But um, others uh, say among, and one of the interpretations of that is, you know, the kingdom of God is right here. You know, you can reach out and touch the Messiah right now. Um, so maybe they mean that. But but whether it means one or whether it means the other, um, what it's what Jesus is saying is it's available. It's handy. So we, we can argue over within or among, but he's saying it's close. It's close at hand. It's not something you have to wait for. It's already here. So you can have the kingdom of God. 
because Jesus has been saying also since chapter 4, he's been saying the kingdom of God is invisible. It's not something that we can detect with our senses. He says it's like a seed growing in the ground. I have no idea, you know, how, how close it is to breaking the surface. It's just growing there and we'll find out when it comes to the surface. Then we'll see it growing. Jesus talks about it that way. In some of the other gospel accounts, Jesus says it's like treasure buried in a, in a field. You could walk right over it and not realize it's right there. Uh, he says it's like yeast in a batch of dough. You can see the effect it's having, but you can't see it. So Jesus is being very consistent. He's saying the kingdom of God is not something you see with your eyes. It's something that um, that is growing whether you see it or not. It's something that's close at hand, but you can't see it. And invisible is hard. We have trouble with the idea of invisible. So what we tend to do is we tend to look at other things and say, well, that must be the kingdom of God. We we tend to use proxies. We say, you know, the world is getting better. There's less, you know, compared to the first century, there's less murder and violence. Um, we could say, you know, there's medicine, there's all these things. We might We might look at progress and say, okay, well, there we go. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't assume that progress is the same thing as the kingdom of God. And there's reasons, you know, um, why we might not do that. First of all, what do we know about progress? In the 1950s, they told us we'd have flying cars by now, right? Remember that, you know, the Jetsons and, you know, flying cars. And I would say that would be great. I would say that's a sign of progress. On the other hand, this week, uh, there was the, the gathering in, um, Egypt, of people looking at the problem of climate change. And you might have seen some of the critique about there was a bunch of protesters in um, the Netherlands who were saying, you, you can't fly 400 private jets to Egypt in the name of climate change. So um, <laughs> imagine if everybody had a flying car, how much CO2 would be going into the atmosphere if we all had flying cars. I don't even know necessarily what progress is. So we have to be careful um, confusing um, about confusing progress with the kingdom. Um, but, but that's actually a good thing, um, because, because yes, we can, we want something visible. We want progress. We want flying cars or we want, you know, uh, uh, vaccines or whatever we might say. Well, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Um, but, um, to, to associate it with the kingdom of God, to, to identify it with the kingdom of God is problematic. And, um, that's a good thing in particular because we face defeats and we face discouragement. Uh, you know, my life has not been straight up and to the right. Uh, you know, my whole life. You know, I've had problems, um, and I'm sure you've had problems too, that there are defeats and things that discourage us, that that we don't have smooth sailing all the time. My life and probably your life is not pain-free and problem-free. So we can remember that the kingdom of God is like a seed growing in the ground. When when, when they, they tell us, you know, I don't love you anymore, when the scan comes back and it shows that the cancer has returned. When we relapse and fall off the wagon. Those are not signs that the kingdom of God is in retreat. Because the kingdom of God is invisible and it is growing like a seed in the ground. So don't confuse progress with the kingdom. Progress is good. We should work on flying cars. But... Don't confuse it with the kingdom of God. And the reason we shouldn't do that is because Jesus said it's going to get worse. Before it gets better, it's going to get worse. Jesus said to the disciples, the time will come when you long to see one of the days of the human one. This is that human figure in in the book of Daniel, the human one. 
Jesus talks about himself in that in that language regularly. So he says, you'll long to see the days of the human one. Why do you long? Because things are a mess, because your life is in shambles, because you just drove it into the ditch or somebody else drove you into the ditch, because there are problems in the world. You'll long for that day and you won't see it. So what Jesus is doing here is he's distinguishing between the coming of the kingdom and the coming of Messiah, or more particularly, the second coming of the Messiah, because his first coming is the one that you know this this book comes out of. So his first coming was everything between Christmas and Easter, and his second coming is the one where he talks about um, he talks about the the sky and so forth. He says people will say to you, "Look there or look here. Don't go chasing. Don't go, don't leave or go chasing after them." The human one will appear on his day in the same way that a flash of lightning lights up a sky from one end to the other. So Jesus is saying that when when the Messiah comes, when the day of the Lord arrives, there won't be anything subtle about it. Nobody will nobody will miss it. You don't have to worry you're going to sleep through it because it will be utterly utterly obvious when that happens. So you don't have to worry about people living out in the desert or whatever saying come out here and you know learn from me because I'm the Messiah. He says don't worry about that. You won't miss the coming of the of the Messiah. So Jesus is saying, when when this age ends, when when the Messiah returns to bring to a close this age and to usher in the age to come, you don't have to worry. You're you're gonna you're gonna see that. But in the meantime, the kingdom is growing in secret. So Jesus says, there's nothing subtle about it. And then he says, however, first he the the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus is saying, the human one is already here. This is the first coming. Jesus is saying, he's going to be rejected by this generation, the people who are alive at that time. The, that generation is going to cause him to suffer and be rejected. So he's saying, there is the future coming, and there's the fact that he's already here. So Jesus is distinguishing between those two comings. So... He says that. He also says um, he must suffer many things. And it, it's worth pausing and, and saying, okay, well, he's probably, you know, he's certainly talking, if nothing else, he's talking about his passion, his, his death and resurrection. So he must suffer many things. But, you know, Jesus says that whatever we do to the least of his brothers and sisters, we do to him. And so it's worth stopping to think that, that even though we don't see Jesus wincing, that he has been suffering since he returned to heaven, that he has he has seen the troubles in this world and has continued to suffer until the time when he returns. So things will get worse before they get better. That may not be a straight line either. It may come and go. There may be periods of time where it's worse and some where it's better and different places and so forth. But he says it will get worse and you will long to see one of the days of the kingdom one of the days of the human one. But but Jesus says there is good news. He says we don't have to wait for the sky to light up because the kingdom of God is already present. He says it is invisible. It is growing like a seed in the ground, like yeast in a batch of dough. It's available. Since chapter 4, I've been telling people the kingdom of God is among you. But Jesus says people are going to miss out on it. He says, even though it's here, even though it's ready for the taking, he says, remember your Bible. 
People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, what's interesting about that is that those were bad places. God destroyed them because they were bad. Um, the world, uh, God looked at the world and decided that the the solution to the problems in the age of Noah was to have a flood and wipe out all the evil in the world. It was a it was a bad place. There was evil we can't even imagine going on at the time of Noah. So God washed it all away with the flood. And there was injustice at the time of Lot. That you you know read the read the um, book of Genesis and you see uh, it is a is a terrible place. Lots of bad people in that town. But Jesus doesn't talk about that. Jesus doesn't tell us about the injustice and the evil and the wickedness going on in those places. Jesus talks about the ordinary affairs of life, right? He says, he says that they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. They were doing the ordinary things that people do in their lives. Jesus is saying they will miss out on the kingdom not because they're doing evil, but because they're just busy. Because they're doing the ordinary things of life. The kingdom of God is right there at hand. It's among you. But you can miss it because you're busy. And, you know, this is something that's very easy to do. We can be busy. And more than that, we can tell ourselves this is normal. We can say, you know, the this is just the way the world is. That I, I don't need the kingdom of God because this is kind of baseline. You know, now if I was in trouble, you know, if there was, you know, hard, hard things in my life, then, then fine. I can, you know, I might want the kingdom of God to come sooner. I might be one of those people Jesus talked about in the previous part of this lesson where he talked about the days will come when you belong. But in the meantime, it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm not saying my life is perfect, but you know, I still buy and sell. I eat and drink. My my life is is normal, and Jesus is saying, "Yeah, watch out for the normal too." He says that that's the way it will be when the human one is revealed. People will still be doing normal things; they'll be doing the ordinary things of life. And he says, "Then you know they'll say, oh, well, okay, here's the the lightning. Okay, here's the here's the excitement up there.'" So he says, "On that day, those on the roof whose possessions are in the house shouldn't come down to grab them." Likewise, those in the field shouldn't turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to preserve their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will save it, or preserve it. <clears throat> I tell you, on that night, two people will be in the same bed. One will be taken and the other left. Uh, two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. So Jesus is saying, ordinary people, <clears throat> some will miss out on the kingdom of God because just like they did back in those days, they missed out on salvation. It was there. And they missed out on it because they were busy. They had other things that were going on. And the problem is that we can do the same thing. We can be busy and we can tell ourselves, well, you know, this is normal. This is, this is the way the world is. This is the way life is. And, um, there's a meme some of you have seen. There's a dog whose house is on fire. And the dog says, this is fine. This is normal. This is what I'm used to. This is just the way things are. We can be like that dog. We can say, well, yeah, I don't need the kingdom of God. If things get bad, sure. But, you know, right now I don't need it. 
Jesus says that today can be the day of salvation if we attend to it. He says, if today you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart. He says we should seek first the kingdom of God and then worry about the eating and drinking, buying and selling. The English writer C.S. Lewis, um, about 80 years ago, he wrote a book called The Great Divorce, and in it he um, said that the gates of hell are locked on the inside. And what he meant is that people could leave hell if they wanted to, but when they got to heaven, they'd find out, well, you know, this isn't what I was hoping for. You know, I wanted, I wanted heaven to be a place where I could rob banks, you know, where I could murder and gossip and all those things that characterize my life. And he says that, that you could leave hell and go to heaven, but then you'd come back to hell because you were disappointed by heaven. He says that, that that's what he means when he says that the, the gates of hell are locked on the inside. That anybody who wanted to could leave, but he says a lot of people won't. He, he explains himself this way. He says, if we insist on keeping hell or even earth, we shall not see heaven. If we accept heaven, we shall not be able to retain even the smallest and most intimate souvenirs of hell. So he says, there are things that God is going to exclude from the age to come. That God is, the, the, the Messiah, when he returns, will remove all the sources of evil, and he will repair everything that has been disfigured in this age. And if we insist on keeping those things, if we insist on making our lives centered around them instead of God's kingdom, we can't, we can't have a place in heaven, not because heaven won't have us, but because we won't let go of the things we've collected here. So the last point, don't stop to collect souvenirs. I've wondered, if the kingdom of God is at hand, if it's among us, how many people have an ordinary life? They buy and they sell, they plant and they build not realizing they could have an extraordinary life. But they can't have an extraordinary life and an ordinary life. And so I invite you to consider that, to consider, am I settling for ordinary? Am I saying, you know, this is good enough, this is fine? Because what Jesus is offering is a better life. The church is the provisional demonstration of the kingdom of God. There's nothing on earth that shows us what the kingdom of God is because it is an invisible kingdom. But the church is the closest thing we will see. It is the provision. It is it is toward the vision of God's invisible kingdom. And so when we operate in the church, when we do the things the church does, when we care for one another, when we admonish one another, when we do all the things we're called to do for one another, when we serve in the world, we are demonstrating God's kingdom as much as we can. And even that should not be confused with the kingdom. Because the kingdom is invisible, and there is no way to see it. And so we don't have to think, well, I had a setback, I fell off the wagon. The doctor gave me bad news. The kingdom of God must be somewhere else. No, the kingdom of God is still among you. And it is yours for the taking because it is, it is there. We don't have to wait until the end of this age.
We don't have to wait until things are terrible. We can have the kingdom of God even when things are ordinary. All of these things are available to us. If we want an extraordinary life, we just need to not settle for ordinary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you first for this um, teaching from Jesus because there is so much about the end of this age that is troublesome. We have so many questions about it. But we give you thanks for what Jesus has taught us so that we can um, we can have peace and by your grace we can actually enter your kingdom before that time. Help us, Lord, to challenge ourselves to look at our lives and say, are we merely collecting souvenirs of something that is passing away? Help us instead, Lord, to look not for an ordinary life but an extraordinary one, a life in your kingdom demonstrating to the world your kingdom. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.